You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Surrendering the Ego. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions from a live audience. He addresses topics like surrendering the ego, what to do with anger, and how to confront our fears. Eckhart says fear arises when we become drawn into negative thinking and project it into the future. He goes on to say that most of the time, fear has no basis in reality, because when the future finally arrives, it's actually the present moment again. And in the present moment, there is usually nothing to fear. Eckhart, my question is around surrender. I'm curious, once the egoic shell has, has cracked open and the light of consciousness is peeking through, can the ego surrender itself to that light of consciousness, or ultimately must it be surrendered? I often talk of the ego as, as if it were an entity. It's not really an entity. It acts as if it were an entity. It seems to be an entity that has taken possession of you. But ultimately, what it is, it's only a particular way of your mind to function an identification with the mind. So the ego itself is that dysfunctional way in which the mind works. And when that comes to an end, the dysfunctional way cannot put an end to its own dysfunction. It can only dissolve when awareness arises. Awareness is not thought. Awareness is consciousness prior to thought. And you realize that you are that, and whatever the mind produces and says are thoughts. But the thoughts are then no longer endowed with the sense of self. And that's the end of the ego. When you no longer identify with every thought that comes, that's the end of the ego. So that's what happens. So I don't know in the way you formulate the question. The ego cannot dissolve itself, but in the light of awareness, it dissolves. Then what is that willingness? That willingness? To allow it to be seen or... That willingness is the evolutionary impulse of the universe, which created the ego in the first place in order to transcend it now, 
It was an evolutionary step for mankind. The ego was an enormous step for mankind, a great thing. And then it came or is coming now to the end of its lifespan, that particular evolutionary movement or manifestation that we call ego, it had a lifespan. It has outlived its usefulness now. We have learned a lot through it and now it needs to go. And that's always a critical stage. The transition from one state of consciousness to another is always critical. There could be a falling back. We are at this transitional stage where the ego now needs to dissolve. The caterpillar has come to the end of its useful life as a caterpillar. It's been fine. It, the caterpillar was happy for a while, crawling up the tree and eating the leaves. Now there are no leaves left on the tree. And it's time for the caterpillar to cease being a caterpillar and turn into something incredible. That little slimy thing, <laughs> suddenly it doesn't know what's happening to it. Caterpillar doesn't say, I must become a butterfly, or I'm trying to become a butterfly, but the caterpillar suddenly notices that crawling is becoming more and more difficult. And it's looking for leaves, it's eaten all the leaves of the tree, so there's nothing else to eat anyway. If it doesn't change now into a butterfly, it'll die. So that's what's happening uh, to humans. The shift to a different evolutionary level or dimension. Us being here, that's all part of it. It's part of that, the shift. The butterfly is emerging right here. The caterpillar is not totally gone yet. It's the transitional period. Even you can notice in every one of you, sometimes you're still a caterpillar and at other times you're already a butterfly present, aware, non-reactive, aligned with the present moment. Thanks. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hi, Eckhart. Thanks very much for having me. When my pain body becomes activated, how do I lessen its grip on me? It seems that when it is activated, I can be aware of it, maybe not continuously, but at least intermittently, and I can watch it act out. But despite this awareness, I continue to feel agitated and almost controlled by it, or at its mercy anyway, for several hours often in the middle of the night, when my awareness would rather be sleeping. So I often think about your description about uh, your observation about when ducks fight and how they are able to flap their wings after the fight is over and release all this negative energy and then they're able to float along peacefully. So I guess my question is, how do I, metaphorically speaking, flap my wings? <laughs> what is it that usually triggers it? I don't know 
that there's a usual thing. You know, it could be something minor that happened at work and it's in the middle of the night and I'm thinking, you know, oh, if I had done this differently or here's what I would say, you know, and, it, and things are going over in my head. And so okay. there's... So what triggers it is certain thoughts in your head. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm aware of it at the time. You know, when I'm aware of these, these are just thoughts. You know, why can't I just turn this off? But it doesn't seem to happen. So sometimes the emotional pain body reaction comes when you think about something that happened the, mm -hmm. uh, the previous day and not necessarily in the moment when it happened. It happened when you started thinking about it. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It's important to observe the relationship the, or the link between thought processes and emotion. And it's important to uh, cut the link between emotions and thoughts. Otherwise, the thoughts are what keeps the emotions alive and feeds. In fact, the pain body feeds on certain types of thinking because thought is energy. And if you're not observant enough, you don't realize that by feeding the pain body with your thoughts, you amplify it and you keep it going in that way. That doesn't happen to the duck because the duck has not arrived yet at the level of thinking. There's consciousness there, of course, but the duck does not think to itself what this other duck did to me a few hours ago that was so terrible. When that happens again, what am I going to do? And then relive the situation in the mind and feel, and feel the emotion even more. You're really in the grip of the pain body when the pain body is totally linked into your thought processes and when you're thinking through the pain body. All your thoughts are then determined by the emotion, which could be fear, it could be anger. And so the, your thinking becomes totally contaminated by the old emotion inside you. And that means whatever you're thinking about, whatever situation you're thinking about, whatever person you're thinking about, whether it's yourself or somebody else, is going to be total distortion of reality because your thoughts will be controlled by the pain body. So you're looking at, at the world and at yourself and at other people through the emotion. And so you're thinking, and then sometimes you can either listen to yourself in the mind or you can listen, it's easier to li listen to somebody else who is in the grip of the pain body talking about how they perceive the world at that moment. And you can see then how deluded they are, but they don't know that. They think that's the only way of seeing it and that is absolutely correct, the way I judge this person or the way I judge the situation. There is no other way, that's how it is. He betrayed me, he, he deceived, he did that to me. He, there's, no, there's, there's no separation then from emotion and thought. So to see how it arises, and if you can catch it at an early stage when a thought comes and if you feel the corresponding emotion arise, you can then see, ah, I just did it. I just woke up the pain body. And then there's an awareness there. At that moment, perhaps the emotion is already there and will linger for a while. But if you don't continue to think about it, but continue to be the awareness, then it will subside more quickly. And then you're not in the grip of it. You cannot perhaps immediately get rid of the emotion, nor is it necessary. 
but you can be, in fact, allow it to be there as it is, is actually quite powerful rather than feeling I shouldn't be feeling it. Because in the spaciousness, it can actually dissolve when you allow it, not resisting it. But being careful that it does not link into your mind and then feed on your thoughts, and then you have the vicious circle. Emotion generating thought, thought amplifying the emotion, emotion generating more thought, and so on. So it requires alertness. So if it's particularly at night when you experience that, then when you wake up in the middle of the night and the process begins, then you have to be alert at that time. I also recommend when you wake up in the middle of the night to immediately go into the feeling of the inner body so that your attention moves away from the mind into the energy field of the body and feel the aliveness within the inner body as you lie there at night. And that is actually becomes part of being present. You're present with your entire being there and you feel that, that presence inside you and the need to think then lessens if you are not able to do that, then be careful to catch the first thought and see how it generates the emotion. It's also possible that the emotion has been lingering there, has not perhaps been able to come out during the day and it's waiting now to feed on your mind. So it, it's, it's been waiting there and it uses then that moment when perhaps you're still a little bit sleepy and just waking up to creep into your mind. <laughs> Alertness is required. It's not the emotion that you need to get rid of. It's the link between the emotion and your thought processes. If you can cut that, but you can only cut that by being aware, by being alert. And the stronger the emotion is, the more alert you need to be. So you require what I sometimes call the sort of presence so that you cut the link between the emotion and the thinking. You pull the sword and you become the, the warrior. <laughs> so the duck is fine, it just doesn't think. So it's easy to go like that. And if you have observed ducks, how when they return after the fight, flap their wings, and there's not a trace left of the, if you can even call it emotion, the energy of the fight that was there, the agitation that was there. <laughs> and then you go, flap their wings and go. <laughs> Nothing, it's all just gone. But humans can't do that except perhaps the Zen master, but the Zen master didn't have the emotion in the first place, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So my question is fear. What is fear? It seems like there's many forms of fear. I woke up this morning, I had fear to get up and ask this question. There's fear of not getting your teachings directly, absolutely, you know, clear as day. So if you could just talk about fear, what is it? If you direct attention inside yourself, in the moment of experiencing fear, you can find out the answer for yourself. However, I will continue to speak. 
Thank you. <laughs> Just to give you a little bit of direction in that process of finding the answer for yourself, because only that's the true answer. It has to be there in your experience. With a certain alertness, when fear arises, you can say, oh, how did that come? What was the process leading to it? And inevitably you find, I'm sure you will find, certain thought processes about not what's happening now, but what might happen in some future moment, as this did this morning when you, it arose. And at this very moment, if you do not leave this moment mentally, your mind, and, and think, am I going to get it, what he says? Am I really going to get it? Or if you think, what clever thing can I say next? Then more fear may arise. But in this moment, as you stand here, look at me, there's nothing to fear, is there? Where's the fear now? The fear is only before it happens. But the before it happens, so it's the fear of the future. It's not the fear of the present. Now, since the future doesn't actually exist, only the present exists, it's the fear of nothing. It has no basis in reality, because when the future comes, it's the present again. There is only the present. And in the present moment, there is nothing to fear. So the fear arises when you become drawn into certain thoughts in your mind. You identify with the thoughts, and then you project yourself mentally away from the now. And that's the origin of fear. I'm talking about psychological fear. There is something else that is sometimes called fear that happens when there is true and immediate real danger. So if there's true and immediate real danger, a wild animal suddenly appearing here, or if I point a gun at you, you may, I won't, <laughs> you may experience there's a contraction happens, or your heart starts beating fast, something is going to happen, so you may have to remove yourself, or, whatever, or you may have to fight, or whatever. That is not really fear, it's the, it's the instinctive response of the organism, because some action may or will be required, and so you may run away. So your heart, it's, the energy is already building up and that, that is also called fear, but that is not the fear that we are talking about. And it's fairly rare that you're actually faced with actual situations where this kind of fear would arise. So 99.9% .9 of your fear is psychological fear, and that applies to virtually everybody. And for those people to whom that not, if they live in very dangerous place, please, ask me another question and we'll address that, because there's a, also a spiritual teaching in that. If you lived in a place where there's absolute chaos every day, wherever that happens to be on the planet at this time, if you lived in Afghanistan or Somalia and you never know, am I going to reach the end of the day? Or is some gun per man going to burst in here? It could happen at any moment. There's a wonderful teaching in there too, 
But we won't talk about that here because that's not your reality. Your reality is psychological fear. How do you then remove psychological fear? Well, to, you observe how it arises and you observe how, where your mind is taking you all the time and where you follow the mind with your attention. And once you notice that this is happening and fear is arising, you can say, okay, what, what is the reality of the West? What is there to fear in this moment? Because that's all there is. Then you stop following your thoughts and you take attention into this moment and you realize nothing. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. In other words, presence. You become present to this. You be more and more your life becomes present moment centered rather than future centered. You're a young person, so a young person's life tends to be more future centered. If you were 70 or 80 years old, you would probably be more past centered, but both are dysfunctional states. So, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal in that. <laughs> it's a collective dysfunction. Sure, I know, I see it. So the, the shift in consciousness is your life becomes present moment-centered rather than past or future-centered. And with that comes an enormous uh, shift, that is the shift in consciousness which means you can still deal with the future, the so-called future, preparing things, taking steps, making plans. Of course you do those things. You can refer to the past, because sometimes you may need to remember things from the past. You can even learn from mistakes you made in the past. Oh, yesterday, I did, the other day I did that. I'm not going to do that again because it hurts when I do that. <laughs> so that's good. But you don't live there anymore. You don't live in the past and you don't live in the future. And you would be amazed to see how many people live in past or future. They live there. <laughs> and it's insane. But it's, <laughs> but it's normal. It's normal. normal. Normal insanity is not recognized as insanity because it's normal. So your practice then is the focus of your attention increasingly is on the, the present moment. What is the, what is the next thing that I need to, what is the step that I need to take now? To deal with this now, not tonight, not tomorrow, now. Doesn't mean you never think about future or past. No, of course you still sometimes do. But you don't live there anymore. You live in the now. And so it's a reversal, because in the normal dysfunctional state, you live in past and future, and occasionally you visit the now. And when occasionally you visit the now, suddenly you feel so good. You feel, oh, life is good. You feel joyful. You feel intense sense of aliveness. 
you see beauty in, even in little things. You can relate to another human being with loving kindness without wanting anything from him or her. You can do an act of kindness and help another without any secondary thoughts of what you want to achieve by helping this person, which means you bring in future again. You experience the joy, for example, of helping, not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself. And all that you experience, and, uh, and people who are, you usually live in past and future, many of them occasionally visit the present, otherwise they would be totally unhappy. Now they're only 90% unhappy. So occasionally they visit the present and then that's when they feel particularly alive and particularly joyful or they have a creative insight. Why? Because for a moment the mind stopped and there was that openness. But this can be reversed from being an occasional visitor to the now and living in past and future. You reverse that. You become an occasional visitor to past and future, but you live in the now. So that's the only way to become free of fear. Now you may also occasionally experience fear rising. Normally it's associated with the thought process or triggered by a thought process. There can also be an accumulation of past fear in a human being because if you have lived in fear over many years, then that energy field has built up inside you and this is, would then be part of the, what I call the pain body inside you, that the, ener the fear lives in you then as an, ener an emotional energy field. So many pain bodies are made up to a large extent of fear. And, and sometimes when you look at certain humans who are possessed by their pain bodies, what you see when you look into their eyes is the fearful pain body. What does he want from me? What do you, why, are you, why are you smiling at me? <laughs> you want something. There are many countries where, where the collective pain body is very strong and if you go to those countries and you smile at people in the street, like, they might even run away or call the police. So this is a wonderful shift then you move from never feeling at home really or very rarely feeling at home in this world. That means you live in past and future. And only if you inhabit the now, you actually begin to feel at home in where you are in the world. There are many humans who wherever they go, they feel there's, there's something wrong here. Of course, they're not at home with them in themselves. That's the practice. And if fear rises from your pain body, well, it's not produced. Perhaps it was triggered by one little thought about what might happen next week. But sometimes one little thought of what might happen next week can trigger an enormous influx of fear suddenly, out of proportion to the triggering thought. And that means it's the pain body. And when that happens, you have to just be be present with that and observe what it feels like as an energy field. If you don't observe it, in other words, you are the witnessing presence, it can take over your mind and make you think more fearful thoughts because it loves that. That's all it knows. So if, if you should experience accumulation of old fear triggered by certain thoughts, 
some people have panic attacks that can be extreme manifestations of fear in the middle of the night. <gasps> okay, presence. It helps if you invite presence into your life when you're not invaded by fear. So when the fear comes, the old fear, then there's enough presence power in you to be able to observe it. But if you don't invite presence into your life in neutral situations, then of course there won't be enough presence when the fear comes, which is very challenging. So it's very simple, really. Be at home in the now, and that means you connect to who you truly are beyond mind activity. Surrender to anger, question. I'm an angry woman. I expect too much from people and I'm always disappointed. Is there any help for me? Well, the good news as I see it is that there is already some degree of awareness in you. If there were not, you would be angry at me because I disappointed you in some way. <laughs> or whoever, somebody else, or the politicians, or whoever. So there is already a degree of awareness. You've discovered an habitual emotion in you, which is anger, and you have discovered a habitual mind pattern, which is that you expect too much from people, which always leads to the same result, which is disappointment. Now all that needs to happen is for the awareness to grow and then you will find that the anger diminishes. And this is probably already happening. The degree of old emotion that people carry varies from person to person. With some people the patterns that they carry are very deep and carry an enormous amount of energy behind them. And for those people, even as the awareness arises, and they're already aware of the patterns, perhaps not as fast as they happen, but always just afterwards, after an episode, and the episodes, of course, are frequent. And then at some point, there's an awareness even as the pattern happens. And that's a good, it doesn't mean the awareness necessarily can stop the pattern, the old reactive pattern from arising, but it's there. And then it's there again and again, and then at some point the pattern is weaker, still arises, but is weaker. But there are, as I said, in some humans, the patterns are very deep-seated. They have been there in, for generations. If you're in, in that level, genetically, you can see perhaps the same pattern in your siblings. You can perhaps see the same pattern in your parents and your grandparents. And if you looked back further down the line, you could see the same patterns in a village in Italy or wherever your descendants came from, or London in 1500 or wherever. And you, can, you could trace it back a long, long way. And it's been renewing itself even perhaps adding to itself when there were upheavals like dreadful, the Thirty Years' War, the, the suffering of the Middle Ages, the, the, the world wars, the atrocities, and perhaps there was some involvement with that. So some humans carry, that's an enormous amount of heaviness 
inside them. And for those, even as the awareness is there, there can still be a considerable time lapse before those things actually dissolve. And the more heaviness you carry, also, the more intense the light of consciousness, or you could call it even the fire of consciousness, the more intense it needs to be to transmute, to burn up or transmute, is probably the better way of looking at it. It doesn't get destroyed, it's, this is just stuck energy, to transmute those patterns. So if the patterns in you are relatively light, just a little bit of presence coming into your life will make a substantial difference to your life. If your patterns are very heavy, can take a little longer. But also your motivation should be stronger because you will experience more suffering than others. So the motivation to awaken would also be stronger in those people who have a heavy, really what I'm talking about, a heavy pain body. So to this question, I would like to add then, is it possible for you, or perhaps has it already happened, that when you are expecting too much from people, as you put it, which is a mind pattern, have you been able to, as this pattern arises in, in the form of certain thoughts, have you been able to, or are you able to, from now on, to notice that the pattern operates again? Or as anger arises in you, again, so many years of anger, and there it is again, are you able to be there as an observing presence, to sense it, to feel it, and then, oh, there it is again. And the more you are, the, then the pattern does get weakened, and the awareness grows. And that's all there is to it. So I would say perhaps you are, you are more conscious than perhaps you yourself realize already of the unconsciousness in you, of the unconscious patterns in you. I'm an angry woman is the beginning of the question. You remember in, in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe, the first thing people have to do is to admit that they are alcoholics, because as long as they deny it, the pattern will continue. And so you're, you're doing it, you're facing it. Now, don't make the mistake of believing that being an angry woman is part of your identity. In the same way, I would tell the alcoholic not to believe that being an alcoholic is their identity. It's fine at that point to say, I'm an alcoholic. There's a relative truth to that. There's also relative truth when you say, I'm an angry woman. It is not the absolute truth. It is nobody's identity to be an alcoholic, and it is nobody's identity to be an angry person. Those are patterns that operate in you. But temporarily to say that can be helpful. It's relatively true. It's temporarily true. It is not absolutely true. As long as you know that, it's fine. So facing something that has been unconscious and make it, bring it into the light of consciousness, it's wonderful just to see it. It's an enormous gain to say, I'm an, I'm an angry woman from just being an angry woman. And perhaps even denying that you're an angry woman. Well, I'm not angry. How dare you suggest that you are angry. Look at what you said yesterday. <laughs> you always accuse others, don't you? And you can't argue with, with pain bodies, you might have noticed. Because whatever you say is wrong. It'll just fuel the pain body. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle. 
Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.